Hello everybody, so I decided to do a sex episode because there's more that I need to say. Just getting my thoughts together. I decided I'm going to start in the best way possible. So what is body positivity? Verywellmind.com by Kendra Cherry, updated November 21st, 2020, medically reviewed by Claudia Chaves, MD. Four ways to be more body positive. Body positivity first asserts that all people deserve to have a positive body image regardless of society and popular culture view ideal shape, size, and appearance. Some of the goals of the body positive movement include challenging how society views the body, promoting the acceptance of all bodies, helping people build confidence and acceptance of their own bodies, addressing unrealistic body standards. Body positivity is not just about challenging how society views people based upon their physical size and shape. However, it also recognizes that judgments are often made based on race, gender, sexuality, and disability. Body positivity also aims to help people understand how popular media messages contribute to the relationship that people have with their bodies, including how they feel about food, exercise, clothing, health, identity, and self-care. By better understanding the effect that such influences have, the hope is that people can develop a healthy and more realistic relationship with with their bodies. Brief history. Body positivity has its roots in the fat acceptance movement of the late 1960s. Fat acceptance focuses on ending the culture of fat shaming and discrimination of people based on, upon their size or body weight. The National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance was first established in 1969 and plans to work to change how people talk about weight. The term body positive emerged in 1996 in psychotherapist and individual who had been through treatment for an eating disorder found at the website bodypositive.org. The site offers resources and educational materials designed to help people feel good about their bodies by taking the focus off of losing weight through unhealthy diet and exercise efforts. Body positivity movement in its current form began to emerge around 2012, initially focusing on challenging unrealistic feminine beauty standards. As the movement grew in popularity, the original focus on acceptance of weight began to shift toward a message that quote all bodies are beautiful. While body positivity has become increasingly popular, people continue to be confused about exactly what it means. Part of the reason why body positivity is so misunderstood is the fact that there are so many different definitions for what the movement means. Depending on who you ask, body positivity can mean accepting your body and appreciating your body in spite of flaws, feeling confident about your body, loving yourself, accepting your body shape and size. Being body positive, also means enjoying the body you have and not beating yourself up over change that happen naturally due to aging, pregnancy, or lifestyle choices. Instagram played a pivotal role in the rise of the body positivity movement. Recently, a number of magazines and companies have incorporated efforts to be more body positive in their publications and marketing efforts. Some magazines have stopped airbrushing models while companies, including Dave and Dove and Larry, have developed marketing campaigns incorporating body positive messages. Reasons for body positivity. One of the major goals of body positivity is to address some of the ways that body image influences mental health and well-being. 
Having a healthy body image plays a role in how people feel about their appearance and even how they judge their self-worth. Research suggests that having a negative body image associated with an increased risk of some mental conditions, including depression and eating disorders. One study found that even brief exposure to media messages portraying an ideal physique was linked to increased body image concerns and increased eating disorder symptoms. Body image refers to a person's subjective perception of their own body, which may be different from how their body actually appears. Feelings, thoughts, and behaviors related to body image can have a major impact on your mental health and how you treat yourself. The formation of body image starts early in life. Unfortunately, even young children may suffer from body dissatisfaction. A report published by Common Sense Media found that more than 50% of girls and nearly 33% of boys between the ages of 6 and 8 felt their ideal body weight was less than their current weight. Results also revealed that 25% of kids had tried some type of dieting behavior by the age of seven. Problems that can emerge as a result of poor body image include depression. Women experience depression at much higher rates than men do, and some researchers believe that body dissatisfaction can play an important role in explaining this gender difference in depression rates. Low self-esteem researchers found that body dissatisfaction associated with poor self-esteem in adolescents regardless of their gender, age, weight, race, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. Eating disorders. Research also indicates that body dissatisfaction is linked to disordered eating, particularly among adolescent girls. Research has consistently shown that exposure depictions of the quote-unquote thin ideal are associated with both behavior and emotional symptoms related to disordered eating. It's not just exposure to these images that pose a danger. It's the development of beliefs that beauty, success, and esteem are determined by thinness. Studies have also found that when people internalize these ideas, they are more likely to experience body dissatisfaction and engage in necessary diets. Body positivity strives to address these issues by helping, pull, by helping people recognize the influences that contribute to poor body image. The hope is that people will then be able to adjust their body expectations to feel more positive acceptance of their own bodies. Such acceptance may then help combat the toll that poor, poor body image has on mental physical health. Criticisms. While the body positivity message is intended to help people feel better about themselves, um, it isn't without its problems and critics. For example, one problem is the idea that body positivity implies that people should do whatever they think they need to do in order to feel positive about how they look. Unfortunately, the popular messages that people bombarded with include the idea that thinner, fitter people are happier, healthier, more beautiful. This idealization of thinness can then contribute to people engaging in unhealthy actions, including excessive exercise or extreme diets under the guise of feeling quote-unquote body positive. Another criticism of body positivity is that it can be non-inclusive. The pictures of body positivity messages tend to exclude people of color as well as those who are disabled, LGBTQ+, and non-binary. The body images often portrayed in body positive messages often still conform to a specific beauty ideal. Many people simply don't feel included in body positivity. Actress Jamila Jamil, who stars in TV series The Good Place, is often described on the basis of the body positivity movement, which she suggests is miscategorization in Instagram posts. Jamil explained that body positivity is essential for people who are quote unquote not believed by doctors who are abused in the street and who can't find clothing in their size. However, she also recognized that the movement isn't right for everyone and that many people feel shut out of the body positivity conversation. Instead, Jamil suggests that she advocates for body liberation and body neutrality. This approach involves taking your body out of the center of your self-image. She has the privilege of taking such a stance, she notes. 
because she is not first to discuss her size. Other people, those who their body positivity movement is specifically aimed at, simply do not have that luxury. Another criticism of the body positivity trend is that it makes the appearance of the body one of the most important elements of the person's self-perception. Neglects all the other elements of a person's identity that are more important than how a person looks. In this aspect, Jamil Stan suggests that features stop making the body determine itself or self perception might be a healthy, more inclusive approach. What you can do body positivity is designed to foster acceptance of love for your body, but it could be a struggle that adds another element of pressure and impossible sense to live up to. The body positivity message that you should change how you feel about your body, but, I'll, but, I'll, but can also be just one more demand. Simply telling people to accept themselves, be resilient in the face of the bombardment of images from other than thin ideal can be damaging. Telling people to ignore the dominant duty ideal isn't realistic. It can create more pressure for a person who's already feeling anxious, negative, and devalued. Popular culture tells people that they are flawed, but then that they have a positive attitude about it. Not feeling positive about your body can then lead to shame and guilt. Research has even found that when people with low self-esteem repeat positive affirmations that they don't actually believe in, the results tend to backfire, leaving people feeling even worse about themselves than they did before. This does not mean that you shouldn't say nice things or think positive thoughts about yourself, but simply cover up negative thinking with positive messages may be harmful. A better approach would be to work on replacing negative thought patterns with more realistic ones. Uh, so what can you do to maintain a healthy body image? Whether or not the body positive movement speaks to you, there are ideas from this approach that may help you feel better about your body and less obsessed with chasing quote-unquote perfection. Adopt body neutrality. Uh, it's okay to admit that you don't necessarily love everything about your body. It's okay to feel neutral, even indifferent about your body. Your worth and value do not lie in your shape or your size and in any other aspect of your appearance. Body image does play a part in self-concept, but it isn't everything. Focus on taking the mental spotlight off your body and try to base your self-perceptions on the parts of yourself. None of these things are easy. They take continual effort, and in most cases, it's not something you can perfectly achieve. There will be moments when you feel weak, when you dislike aspects of yourself, when you compare yourself to others. The key is to keep trying to find new ways to avoid the negative thought patterns that contribute to poor body image. Try health-focused self-care. Self-care can sometimes masquerade as a way to change or control your appearance, but self-care should focus on doing things that make you feel good about the body you have now. Show respect for your body. Eat healthy meals because it fuels your mind and body. Exercise because it helps you feel strong and energized, not because you're trying to change or control your body. Wear and buy clothes for the body you have now, not for some planned future version of yourself. You might be holding on to your quote-unquote thin clothes because you plan to eventually lose weight. But such habits can make it hard to feel good about yourself today. Look for things that make you feel comfortable and good about how you look. Perch your closet of clothes that don't fit your current physique. Your body may change in size and shape in the future, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to look at. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to look at feel good about yourself in the here and now. Perch your social media feeds of accounts that don't make you feel good about yourself. If you yourself, if you find yourself constantly comparing yourself to others, less likely to feel good about yourself. Follow accounts that spark your interest and that leave you with positive feelings. On Instagram in particular, many accounts are focused only on portraying perfection or idolizing image of the body. Try following body positive accounts that are inclusive of all body types, shapes, colors, genders, sexualities, and abilities.
They were from very well. Recent research presented at the American Psychological Association's 2016 annual conference indicates that body dissatisfaction may be on a decline. In the meta-analysis, researchers looked at over 250 studies involving more than 100,000 participants over a 30-year time period. While women consistently report more body dissatisfaction than men, the results indicated that this dissatisfaction has declined in recent years. These findings are a positive side that may suggest that the body acceptance of body positivity movements are having an effect on how women and girls view themselves. While it may be uphill battle, increasing the representation of all body types to proper reading may help combat poor body image. So here's, so I am for health-focused self-care. I am for body neutrality. I am for the body positivity movement. I am for the body acceptance movement. Um, I am for the fat acceptance movement. Um, because regardless of how people look, um, we should not engage in mean-spirited, evil-spirited, anything and everything. Um, instead, we should be character-building each other up. So, I am all for, you know, exercise and um, avoiding the sedentary lifestyle. Um, I'm for healthy body image. Um, I do not um, make fun of people who are considered big, plus size, heavy set because that is just heartless, cold-blooded, cold-hearted. So, um, I think body positivity should definitely be inclusive and partly have everybody feeling belong. You know, people of all body types, shapes, colors, genders, sexuality, sex characteristics, and abilities, I really do feel those. And uh, body positivity should include people of all races too, all ethnicities as well. So um, I have a healthy body image. Um, for example, I no longer feel bad for not being six feet taller, taller. I no longer feel bad about having the werewolf gene. I no longer feel bad about um, the size of my nose and lips and face and head and forehead. I no longer feel bad about not being extremely buff. I no longer feel bad about not having NBA players, NFL players' bodies learning to appreciate recently I'm really really learning how to appreciate myself I am my own standard of beauty that's why I am the standard of beauty when it comes to the multitudes and I don't give a fuck if everybody is unaccept is not accepting of my body because
when you have healthy self-esteem, it's beautiful not to give a shit about certain things. So body positivity and body neutrality, body acceptance, body acceptance, those are all healthy elements of affirming the bodies of your sex partners and sex partners affirming your own, affirming your bodies and you and them are affirming um, your bodies on your own too. So practice body neutrality. Eat healthy foods because it's good for your body. Body wear clothes that flatter the body as now. Request critical aspiration of social media accounts with body positivity. So those are forwards to be more body positive. Okay. So Let's talk about bodily autonomy, busting seven myths to undermine the individual rights and freedoms. So, United to survive for childhood violence in Ghana during a conversation by experience, violation of bodily autonomy could leave lasting emotional scars. United Nations, New York, nearly half of all women are denied their bodily autonomy. According to data from 57 countries, UNFPA's flagship report announced today. The 2021 State of World Population Report titled My Body is My Own marks first time United Nations report focused on the power and issues individuals make choices about their bodies without fear of violence or coercion. The report examines data on women's decision-making power and on laws supportive for sexual reproductive health and rights. Tragically, 55% of women have bodily autonomy according to measurements of their ability to make their own decisions on issues related to health care, contraception, whether they have sex. The report also highlights the legal, economic, and social barriers to securing bodily autonomy for all. 20 countries and territories, for example, have married rapist laws allow perpetrators to escape punishment if they marry their victims. Codifying the denial of autonomy is experienced by survivors of rape. But some of the most persistent barriers to bodily autonomy involve stereotypes, assumptions, and misconceptions about bodily autonomy and the rights of women and girls. The few people who have heard of bodily autonomy associated with the negative ideas said Romeo Alejandro Mendez Zunega. Zunega. I'm not saying the N word. That's actually how the person's last name is. Zunega's apostrophes. Um, not apostrophes. They have um, accent punctuate, accent marks that I'm seeing, so that's why. A youth educator in Guatemala was interviewed in the report because it affects the patriarchal male chauvinist system. Below are seven common myths about bodily autonomy and why we must abandon these misconceptions once and for all. Myth one, bodily autonomy is a Western concept. Bodily autonomy is about the right to make decisions over one's own life and future. It's about being empowered to make informed choices, these universal values. Governments everywhere have committed in a, in a variety of international agreements to protecting autonomy. Respect for autonomy is a core tenet of international med- medical ethics. We must not overlook the incredible efforts to secure bodily autonomy being led by advocates all over the world. Myth two, there is no right to bodily autonomy. Not only is bodily autonomy a human right, it is the foundation upon which other human rights are built. 
There's explicitly and implicitly in, in many international rights agreements, such as the Program of Action of the International Conference on Population and Development, the Convention, the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, and the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And then three, bodily autonomy represents radical individualism and undermines group decision making. Collective decision making is common across cultures, societies, and governments, but group decisions cannot sub circumscribe the rights of individuals. This is the case with all marginalized communities such as indigenous people often face heightened barriers to realizing their bodily autonomy. This could take the form of vulnerability to violence, lack accurate sexual reproductive health information on, or poor access to health services. Um, UNFPA slash Guadalupe Natarino writes, bodily autonomy is no exception. In fact, the realization of individual bodily autonomy actually requires collective action. Communities and advocates must come together to dismantle the norms, laws, and practices that deprive individuals of autonomy. Uh, myth four, one person's bodily autonomy could end up undermining the autonomy of others. Having bodily autonomy does not mean any person gets to undermine the health, rights, or autonomy of others. Individuals have the right to choose whether to have sex or get pregnant, for example, they are not entitled to impose these choices on others. No one has the right to violate the rights of autonomy or violence or no one has the right to violate the rights, autonomy, or bodily integrity of anyone else. Myth number five, some groups of people are not entitled to bodily autonomy. Rights are for everyone, full stop, that includes bodily autonomy. Throughout history, we have seen many people, including women, ethnic minorities, and other vulnerable populations, deny their fundamental human rights. They were told in ways big and small that they lacked the capacity or privilege to make choices for themselves. These abuses continue today. Persons with disabilities, for example, are frequently denied their right to accessible sexual reproductive health information and services. They are too often denied protection from violence. Girls and boys with disabilities are nearly three times more likely to be subjected to sexual violence, with girls at the greatest risk. Some are even subjected to forced sterilization. People in detention may be subjected to rape or denial of health care. Young people, too, are often considered incapable of making sexual reproductive health decisions. Sometimes this means parents make life-altering choices for them, like marrying them off before they reach adulthood. This has to stop. Guardians have a clear obligation to make responsible decisions in the best interest of their children. Additionally, international agreements respect the rights of older adolescents to participate in important matters affecting them. The Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child recognizes the evolving capacities of children approaching adulthood and calls for them to be supported with information, guides, and health care that empowers them to participate meaningfully in choices about their bodies and features. So it says, collective action, solidarity, and community support all essential to securing bodily autonomy for all. Respect for bodily autonomy is a core tenet of international medical ethics. Marginalized communities, such as indigenous people, often face heightened barriers to realizing their bodily autonomy. This could take the form of vulnerability, violence, lack of accurate sexual reproductive health information or poor access to health services. So, United Nations, so this guardians have a clear obligation to make responsible decisions in the best interest of their children. Additionally, international agreements respect the rights of older adolescents, of older adolescents to participate in important matters affecting them. United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child recognized that the evolving capacities of children approaching adulthood it calls for them to be supported with information, guidance, and health care that empowers them to, to participate meaningfully in choices about their bodies and futures. Myth number six, bodily autonomy undermines traditions and religions. Bodily autonomy is not simply about sexual choices and reproduction. 
is about a person's whole self, their dreams, and potential in life. Most traditions and religions create space for individuals to explore their own conscience on such deeply personal matters as how to protect their health, whether to start a family, how to charge the future. These choices can be and often are guided by religious leaders and cultural teaching. Lastly, myth number seven, bodily autonomy is just another women's issue. Any concern affect the welfare of half of humanity cannot be dismissed as a quote-unquote women's issue. But bodily autonomy does not simply affect women. Every individual should be empowered to claim their bodily autonomy. This includes men, women, boys, and girls, people of diverse sexual orientations and different gender expressions and um, a variety of sex characteristics. It includes people of all races, faiths, nationalities, sexualism, and disability status. The report shows that men too can be subjected to violations of bodily autonomy, such as through invasive non-consensual anal exams. People of all genders can experience reproductive coercion, favors that interfere with the, with the reproductive choice of others and even rape, as is the case with achieving gender equality. Realization of bodily autonomy will fortify the welfare of all people, men and boys included. The report examines data on whether women are empowered to make their own choice about health care, contraception use, and whether they can say no to sex. So another part of another importance of another important part of sex is bodily autonomy. As I feel about sex, I felt like people need to know that you own your own body, you control your own body. And that's one of the things that adds to the beauty of sex. This is amnesty.org, my body, my rights. Being able to make our own decisions about our health, body, and sexual life is a basic human right. Whoever you are, wherever you live, you have the right to make these choices without fear, violence, or discrimination. Yet all over the world, people are bullied, discriminated against, and arrested simply for making choices about their bodies and their lives. A woman has refused contraception because she doesn't have her husband's permission. A teenager is denied a life-saving termination because abortion is illegal in her country. A man is harassed by police because he's gay. My Body My Rights is Amnesty's global campaign to stop the control and criminalization of sexuality and reproduction. Join us in defending sexual reproductive rights for all. It's your body, know your rights. Vongai V. Chakwanda Hariyar Zimbabwe says, Until women and girls can make reproductive choices on matters affecting their bodies and fully enjoy their rights, our campaign for sexual reproductive rights for all. What are sexual reproductive rights? You have the right to know and learn about your body's sexual health. And your rights. Okay. A global scandal. One out of 10 girls worldwide aged under 18 have been forced to have sex or perform sexual acts. The true number is likely to be higher. 40% of women of childbearing age live in countries where abortion is banned, restricted, and not accessible. 215 million women are not using contraception even though they want to stop or delay having children. So it says you have the right to know and learn about your body, sexual health, and relationships. You have the right 
he has the right to sexual reproductive health services including contraception. He has the right to choose if or when you have children. You have the right to choose your partners or partners. You have the right to live free from rape and sexual violence. Breaking the silence, when it comes to our bodies and relationships, our freest conversations tend to happen in our heads. Often we keep these thoughts secret. Why? Because perhaps it's because we what we feel we can say openly is defined by society we live in. These social norms are controlled by our governments, our communities, even our families. And when we challenge those norms, we feel guilty and embarrassed. We fear being stigmatized, even jailed. Because of this, we keep silent. Through my body, my rights want to help break this silence because right now there are a lot of us who don't know we have rights and are therefore unable to claim them. Third party control. Decisions that are our right, like whether or when to have children, have become matters for governments to control. Some governments also allow other people in our lives to make choices for us, like doctors, faith leaders, or our parents. And some fail to meet their obligation to provide the information services that people have a right to. Asipa Haj Sajrael, Amnesty's Middle East and North Africa Deputy Director. Imagine being, imagine being married to your rapist. You first see that person all the time. It would be devastating. And Burkina Faso, women can be refused contraceptives, can be refused contraceptives at health clinics unless they are accompanied by their husbands. Nigeria, Morocco, and Tunisia laws fail to protect survivors of sexual violence. In some cases, rapists can avoid prosecution by marrying their victims of teenage girls. In Ireland, where abortion is illegal as the woman's life is at serious risk, about 12 women a day travel to the UK for termination between 1980 and In many countries, having sex outside of marriage, loving someone of the same gender, simply dressing outside the social norm is enough to land you in jail and enough to have you experience the death penalty. Narjis Mahamadai cares for the suffering of others. Whenever she heard that a prisoner was due for execution, she definitely to save them. If she did not succeed, she joined their family funds of personal solidarity. Human rights lawyer, Nobel Peace Prize laureate Shireen um, Iba died October 2016. Growing backlash that these restrictions still exist tells that there's much to do. A backlash against sexual reproductive rights is brewing. Driven by well-funded organized interest groups at the highest level, some governments are trying to roll back these rights, questioning the ideas of quote-unquote reproductive rights and quote-unquote gender equality or branded the principle of quote-unquote human rights for all as Western. What's clear is that our rights to express our sexuality and make decisions over our own bodies are being challenged. From 2004 to 2000, through 2015, MC's My Body, My Rights campaign will try to halt this trend, particularly in Algeria, for Colonel Faso, El Salvador, Ireland, Nepal, Morocco, Western Sahara, and Tunisia. So, so through it, we'll reach out to people around the world, encouraging them to break the silence that surrounds these issues as the first step to claiming their rights. If we break the silence, the governments will have to step up and start protecting people's right to make decisions about their bodies and their lives. So then we will expose states that violate these rights and we will demand change. Because sexual reproductive rights and human rights, they belong to us all. They have to remember that we're human beings, and violence, not politicians, lawmakers, and highly treat women who need an abortion. 
So those are rights that I champion in my heart as well. So Let's keep going. Sex tips from a porn director. Six sex tips I've ever being a porn director. This article, this is Dave Smith. This article is originally published by Ask Men UK. Working adult ministry has taught me lots about sex. I always used to think I was broad-minded until I actually started working on films realized that there was still a lot more to learn. I've always tried to take the approach that if whatever we're filming is turning me on, then hopefully it'll turn on the viewers. The reality of this is that everyone is turned on by totally different things and it can sometimes be difficult to cater for everyone's specific taste. Many films are shot with the view of what the market wants with the aim of t- turning out a product that will sell so it will try and appeal to the widest audience possible. Um, everyone who watches porn may think I, I would love to watch with my partner or partners, but the reality is often very different. What you see on screen takes planning, good styling and makeup, amazing lighting, a great location, good um, models of all gender identities who know what is required to follow direction when partner have chemistry with the people they're working with. Your partner or partners, while they, whilst they may be awesome, may have a totally different idea of what they want to do in bed and all their sexual settings and may or may not be open to your ideas of what you think might be fun to do, plus you may find some things your partner probably wants to do just may not appeal to you. In any case, before you romanticize porn start thinking it's better than sex you're having in real life, you come behind the scenes with me to learn the real deal. This is what directing porn has taught me about sex. One, everyone has kinks. It's essential to communicate with your partner to establish what each of you likes, what is off limits and what is not. Throughout your sexual life, you may have been asked to do things you normally would not have ever considered. And you also might be pleasantly surprised about what your partner might be open to doing. So you may as well ask the question. Suddenly, surprising your partner is not always a good idea. Everyone has their ideal fantasy sexual scenario, and those special kinks and shits in case of finding out what they are. It goes without saying, trying them out should be totally consensual. Two, on camera versus the bed and all the other sexual settings. Some positions look great if you're watching porn, but in fact, they aren't always the most comfortable or practical in the bedroom and all the other sexual settings. There are a few standard positions that are used in every film. The on top position, the person riding you, facing toward you, reverse on top position, person riding you, facing away, missionary doggy style, person is facing away from you, and spooning, for instance. Remember that the more complicated positions you see on the screen aren't always easy. Some positions require lots of stamina and flexibility at home or any other sexual setting y'all, y'all are in. Comfort is important if you want to really enjoy it rather than just making it look good for the camera. It's also worth remembering many performers have been doing this a long time, have gained lots of skills and experience, and have got used to some of that positions. You might find you need to do some stretching and be reasonably fit to do the same. Three, be prepared. Lots of things tend to happen whilst in throes of lust and sex. Some of some of these are great, and others may mean you may have to replace things or have to pay for specialist cleaning services. 
make sure whatever you are doing it on is up to the task you have in mind not going to fall apart or tip over strange as it may seem it's not uncommon for furniture to break normally at the most inopportune times you also might find things are affected by bodily functions so it's always a sensible idea to have some nice covers that could be easily washed or replaced if you're worried about your favorite bedspread or the sexual settings getting dirty good sex could be a messy endeavor after all also you might want to move any ornaments or pictures slash collectibles that potentially make it knocked over prior planning is important and these problems can be avoided if you think ahead and prepare your love making environments in advance or keep props in hand make sure you have everything you might need at arm's length whether these are condoms lube toys wet wipes or refreshments after all you don't want to be on a job you need something you have to stop your partner partners may not appreciate it and it may be difficult to get back to where you left off five stamina isn't for everyone what you see on screen has taken a lot longer to film all day sometimes so no matter how good you might be you may find you may not be able to last anywhere near as long in fact on a very large productions for example a gangbang type film a fluff is someone whose sole job it is to keep the lead person hard throughout breaks might be used. Normally on porn films, the performers will either prepare themselves or ask the woman performer for some assistance to get ready for the scene, um, which is often done when camera or lighting is being moved to the next setup or when changing positions if required. This also happens to all, all the other types of performance people. In many cases, not needed as the established performers tend to be good to go straight away. However, if there's a longer break, it could be necessary. Um, they said lead guy, but I'm trying, but I'm working on um, acknowledging everybody, gender diversity, sex diversity. If you're planning a marathon session, you need some Viagra. Make sure your doctor says it's okay to do so, though. Take it a, a little while before you start, as it doesn't work instantly. Also, bear in mind that you might it might also take you long to ejaculate. So, whatever adult enhancement products you gotta take that are healthy for your body, go take them. Lastly, six, no interruptions. The most annoying thing is when a phone rings and interrupts the action. You really don't want to take a call or read a text message when you're when you're concentrating on your partner or partner. So, make sure your phone is off or at very least set to silent in somewhere. They won't stop the action. You also might find that sometimes your neighbors might not be happy about the noise or sound of your bed banging against the wall, keeping them awake all night. So you might want to put some music on, or at least gives, or at least it gives them something else to concentrate on. In summary, in summary, sex should be fun, consensual, enjoyable, and spontaneous. Don't try a cappuccino porn film if you don't want to. Now, if you want to try a cappuccino porn film, go ahead. As long as y'all are physically and medically okay before, during, after. Uh, create your own version with your partner partners based on what you both are all enjoyed because I'm talking to two people sex happers and group sex happers. It's real. So, these sex tips, I, I do all of my personal life. That's all I'm going to say. Let's just say stamina is definitely for me and all the other tips. For example, I have kinks. I do, I, I have great, in the future I'm gonna have excellent camera sets. I already have excellent bedroom sets and excellent sexual setting sets anyway. I'm prepared, I keep props and hands, I keep 
my condom lead towards wet wipes refreshments. Damn definitely for me. I say it again. And I don't do interruptions. Even my house if let's say I had a house phone. I would have people call me during times when I'm not having sex with a fan. They already know not to call me. Because I wouldn't tell them this is my sex time. I would just say, hey, anytime outside these hours is unacceptable, so you're not to call me during that time. They don't know what I'm doing anymore. So, these are very good things that I'm enjoying mentioning to you all. I'm going to tell you the obvious. This is dessertforbreakfast.com. Tuesday, September 25th, 2012. The rules of a fuck buddy. Found this on the blog in the retort. The rules of a fuck buddy. What exactly defines a fuck buddy? I, I, I'd call it someone that you only ever see with the intention of sleeping with. You don't hang out outside the bedroom or all the other sexual settings y'all are in. You don't call each other up the next day to say you, you had a good time. Now, unless y'all want to, that's y'all right. Every fuck buddy dynamic and dynamics are different. Unless you're calling for another session. It's not a friends with benefits situation. It's somebody that you have in your life purely to satisfy sexual needs. I'm the kind of person whose current ideal relationship is that of a fuck buddy. To be honest, I do fuck buddies and friends with benefits. That's that's me. I'm, I'm speaking from my heart. I can't really stay in a stable relationship, but I have a very healthy sex drive. That's true for me. I can't really stay in a stable relationship either, but Antonio Ray Myers does have a very healthy sex drive. Yes, I do. And I have no problem holding on to someone's number knowing that I can call them up whenever I want for some good old-fashioned fucking. That is hell of a damn good amazing for me that's me damn right that's me I'm not really into one night this is the author saying I'm not really into one night stands or at least not frequently because I like to know for certain that the person I'm sleeping with is not a lunatic I don't fuck crazy I don't but is there more to a fuck buddy than the desire to have sex with each other? It sounds simple and too good to be true. And the truth is it can be sometimes. Although it shouldn't have to be. But it can be a tricky situation if it's not done right. Everybody had their own set of rules and opinions. So I thought I would share some things that have worked for me and open up the floor to other people's suggestions. Feel free to ask one another to explain why they have a certain rule. And of course you're entitled to disagree with them. It's not like I'm an expert in the field far from it, but having had numerous fuck buddies over the years, including me, haha, with a wide variety of ages, mine too, but all legal, hmm. I have put together my own set of simple rules which I live by when entering and trying to maintain a purely sexual relationship with another person. So here they are. And here's the part where I tell you if I agree or not. Here we go. One, both parties, and, and when I say both parties, also think of group sex, okay? more than two. Think of the two and more than two and I say both. Here we go. One, both parties must have respect for each other. It's that simple. No respect, no sex. 
I personally applied that to my sex life. On camera and off camera. Two, both parties must understand the situation. You both need to know that what you have is purely physical, nothing more will ever develop out of it. If you aren't sure or feel the other person or people may not be certain about the situation, you must ask and explain the circumstances. I applied that to my sex life on camera and off camera. Three, there should be a mutual physical slash sexual chemistry or attraction to one another, and there should be mutual physical slash sexual compatibility to one another too. If you can't bear to look at the person so poor they're not wild enough to be in bed or get sexual settings, then there's no point in determining their relationship based on sex with them. I personally applied that to my on-camera and off-camera lives section. Uh, four, you must both be able to communicate what you want, when you want it, and how you want it. Remember, you're both spending time together in order to get what you want with your satisfaction. If they aren't sure or aren't doing something the way you like it, then tell them how it's done before giving up completely. Well, I applied that to my sex life on and off camera. Um, five, you should have few or no mutual friends. This one is very important to me. It will become a very sticky situation. If you know a lot of the same people, they have to be careful and make sure that nothing's revealed to them. You shouldn't have to worry about being found out. It's good to have mutual friends in a friends with benefit situation, but not with a fuck buddy. Hmm. Well, I would say that I apply that to my own off-camera life. I would say also that if we have mutual friends and with my fuck buddies, it wouldn't be any control freak issues at all. There would be no awkwardness. So that's just talking, I'm telling you about my arrangement. Six, only call slash text slash email slash message whatever with the intention of fucking arranging your next fuck. They need to understand that that is all there is between the two of you or more than two of you and that there's nothing more to say. I apply that to mine and off camera. I do. I just shouldn't have said I apply. When I say I apply, that means on and off camera sexually. So, yeah. On camera means my future porn career. Off camera means my personal best life already have. Okay. So I applied number six. Number seven. This leads me to my next rule, which is share a little about your life for day except the basics. Sure, you can make some small talk, ask what a day was, finding out what they do for a living or whatever, but don't go on a rant about what a bad day you had at work, how your friend is getting married soon, blah, blah, blah. You are there to have sex, not to find a confidant establish an emotional connection. Hmm, that's very true. I would say the emotional connection is, is that I honor the body and the personality of my fuck buddies, my fuck buddies honor my body, my personality. So that's what emotional connection means for us. But no, we're not um, attached to each other in terms of being committed or anything like that. No, 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 no. So I apply number seven. Number eight. This next rule is not set in stone by any means, but I find it is best if you see each other no more than once every other week. Seeing each other any more than that leads to lead to one person developing feelings for the other or the sex becomes less exciting. 
Well, there have been a couple of occasions where it has worked seeing somebody once or twice a week. It's never lasted very long. Mine is different. I can see a person frequently or infrequently, and the sex is always exciting, but I don't develop romantic feelings. I don't develop monogamy feelings for other person. I don't. I don't develop committed feelings. I can be lovey-dovey, but not um, serious relationship. That's what I mean when I say romantic feelings. I don't develop serious relationship feelings at all. So, it lasts very long for me. It comes to frequently and infrequently. That's what I mentioned. That's number eight. So I apply number eight and number seven. I apply number I apply numbers one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight that I've been to. Number nine, never under any never under any circumstances should you spend the night at their place to let them sleep over. I don't care how tired you slash they are or how drunk, call yourself and then make cab and get out of there. Once the sex is over, their purpose has been met, there's no need for them to stick around. Why would you want to experience the morning after with your fuck buddy? whom I've already said you shouldn't be sharing much personal information with. If you want morning after sex and tell them you call in the morning, you'll you'll call in the morning and kick them out. Um we don't kick each other out, but we've already established the boundaries like after certain things I go where you go. So I wouldn't pick somebody I'll have to kick out, you know. We 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 are respectful. And you know we're um there's no unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Just want to say that. But, you know, spend a night or sleep over for me. I wouldn't have a problem with that with Buck Buddy because that means instead of me having to call you in the morning, I can just fuck you in the morning because you're there. But I don't mind calling you Buck Buddy in the morning. I don't. I don't. As a shame as person information, hey, um, You know, I'm extraordinary in the sense that no, I don't do a lot of venting. I don't do a lot of I don't. But I'm not a blabbermouth. I'm not I don't reveal everybody's secrets. I ain't doing that. But personal information I share is relevant to the fuck buddy dynamics that I have with my fuck buddies and then to So I apply number nine. Number ten, always use birth control. Ladies, you better be on the pill or some other form of it. Now say, fellas, you better wrap up. If you aren't exclusively fucking each other, that is, you have to agree that you won't fuck anybody else. And you should be using condoms too. Why risk it getting STD from whoever else they may or may not be sleeping with? Oh, I definitely apply number 10. That is self explanatory. Number 11, play out your fantasies and try new things with a fuck buddy. You don't have to worry about what they think, how they may react to a strange request. If they don't want to try something out, then either deal with it or try with someone else. The point of a fuck buddy is satisfaction. So don't be afraid to get creative. 12. I know the rule, which not everyone may agree with, is to not discuss anything about your fuck buddy with escalates with your friends. Personally, I feel that a fuck buddy is a private thing and they should only be 
and they should only be thought about when you desire sex, not while you're having coffee with your friends discussing their boyfriends or girlfriends or LGBT plus relationships. Although I think it is okay to share a bit of a really juicy dream about a fine night once in a while. I would say the type of friend, all my friends are different. I have the kind of friends where I could think of two off the bat that I could definitely do that with. And the third one has its limits. But um, it would never, I would never share anything with anybody that they said don't share it with. Even my close friends with my fuck was like, hey, I, you know, I'm not ashamed of what we're doing. It's just that I don't want everybody to know certain people I don't mind, some people I don't. You know, and they we would talk about who to tell who not to tell. So if I told my friends, my fuck was like, oh yeah, you can do that. You know, you know, I you have trustworthy friends I got too. They're mature. You have mature friends I got too. So that's why. But they were like, you know, just keep this between us. I would honor that. And I know if I ever said that, they would honor that. Mine is very intricate because. When you're a when you're a person that would be a, a global icon, one of the reasons because of my porn career, you know what I mean. That's it's a beautiful intricacy. That's all I can say. Uh, so I apply number twelve, last number thirteen. Find one of the most important yet often ignored rules. Once someone develops rules for the other, another person stop. If you don't end it quickly, things get very complicated and messy. I guarantee it. So yeah. I don't pick partners that would develop feelings and I wouldn't develop feelings. They have to be that good at having sex. I know I am. So, I apply to all these fuck buddies for sure. So that's all I've got for now. And, uh, I'll just ask you these questions as the listeners. I'll put these questions in your head. So that's all I've got for now. Please do add on to this list and feel free to discuss any of the ones I've put up so far. If you need any further explanations, go ahead and ask. Remember, these are just my opinions, but they've always worked in my situations. Oh, and one more thing. What do you think about having daytime sex with your fuck buddy? It's something I've never done before, but my schedule for the next couple of weeks may call for it just that and I'm not sure if it's entirely appropriate or not. And this is the author saying these things so I can't see myself going without sex for an amount of time though. So I just have to hope things work out. I don't see why they shouldn't though as long as the other rules are still followed. Also how do you dispose of your fuck buddies? Do you just stop calling? Do you tell them the truth? Whatever it may be. Maybe you lie say you fall in heart for someone else and you're starting up a real relationship with them. I never have a messy disposal unless it has but usually it has involved on the parties moving away or mutual falling out. But I would love to hear how some of you have gotten yourself out of the situation. I'll let the US the listeners think of those points for yourselves.
So let me. So, so we need to talk a little bit more about ethical porn. What is ethical porn, the ultimate guy? The ethical porn is growing, and that's a good thing, because porn is correlated with more orgasms. Watching porn can be a great way to explore fantasies, learn about what turns us on, and prioritize our pleasure. It can even make us better partners, depending on how we consume it. The industry is worth a whopping $97 billion globally. 85% of people have watched porn in the past six months, including me. Still, this source of mainstream entertainment is a touchy topic in our society. Even as we move forward more open-mindedness, porn is a topic of debate and controversy. Porn helps some people tap into their bodies and explore sexual pleasure with it. It's fun, empowering, and safe. So I think consumers make better decisions when Sourcing porn, scroll, scroll through to learn more about ethical porn, sometimes called feminist porn or fair trade porn, why it matters how to find it. What do people mean by ethical porn? There's no one definition. Ethical porn means something different to every person. When it comes to evaluating the porn you consume, there are a few things to consider. Are performers paid fairly and promptly? Do performers have bodily autonomy? Is it made with consent? Is it made with enthusiastic consent? What physical and emotional safety practices are being taken? Does it show both fantasy and realistic pleasure? Does it represent diversity, including race, gender, body types, disabilities, and sexual orientation? At the end of the day, there's no one definition that comes to ethical porn. Only you can decide what kind of porn you're comfortable supporting. It's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. There are many types of porn, and not all of it is created equal. Just because your porn is made by a small producer doesn't mean it's ethical. It's also not automatically ethical because it features high-quality cinematography. There are many components of ethics that take place behind the scenes before consumers even see the final product on a screen. Some porn producers prioritize diverse ca casting choices and inclusive film sets while others don't. There also may be porn genres or subtitles you personally don't like, maybe milk tropes or choking, but that doesn't make them any less ethical. Ethical porn can accomplish a wide spectrum of things. Paying for your porn is the best shortcut to ethical porn. Tip, follow your favorite performers on Instagram and Twitter to get a sense of who they are, what they say about their work. If you want to support porn with a good wage, you should pay for your porn. Is porn bad for you? Common belief, women are frequently exploited and trafficked. Reality, legal porn is not the same as image-based sexual abuse and sex work. It's not the same as trafficking. Conflating sex work, including porn with abuse, hurts sex workers and other people in the porn industry, many of whom are women. Legal porn sites filter for legal content require supporting consent documents. Platforms are also getting better at responding to takedown notices. I'm tired of explaining consent is on the back of a a person's back. Um, common belief: aggressive scenes led to lead to violence. Reality. There's little evidence that watching porn leads to sexual violence. One review of more than 80 studies concluded a casual link between porn use and violence is unlikely in any findings proving a connection often distorted by the media and lawmakers. 
common belief. Porn promotes body image issues. Reality. Uh, mainstream porn often features women who look one type of way, and that image doesn't represent all women. Ethical porn often does aim to portray a diversity of bodies, real sex, and drop-dead sexy aesthetics. If you look for body-positive porn where legit female pleasure is the center point, it does exist. Common belief is problematic to watch porn reality. Research shows no evidence that porn use leads to significant hikes in risky, addictive, unhealthy, or compulsive behaviors. In fact, there are a lot of benefits to watching porn. It could rekindle your sex life, help you discover and share kinks or fantasies with trusted partners, and even reduce stress. It makes me so horny. Common belief, racism and fetishism is prevalent in porn. Reality, it's true. Racism and fetish and fetishization, I'm sorry. Common belief, racism and fetishization is prevalent in porn. Reality, it's true. Racism and fetishization is prevalent in many genres of porn. That's why it's important to recognize racist and fetishist trope rejecting and intentionally consume porn created by and with BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, People of Color performers. The porn industry as a whole needs to retire um, ethnic stereotypes and give marginalized performance roles that are safe, empowering, fun, and sexy. Common belief, porn is created with the male gaze GAZ in mind. Reality, some porn is created with the male gaze in mind, but ethical porn producers, many from our women, are making a point to highlight real sexual pleasure on the big screen. Male gaze be damned, though to be fair, men love it. Common belief, porn lacks consent negotiation. A lot of on-set consent negotiations take place between performers well before cameras start rolling. But those dialogues about what types of sex feel safe, consensual, and good aren't often displayed on the big screen. Think discussing boundaries and sex acts, asking for moving, and taking breaks to clean up. Ethical porn producers take extra steps to make sure everybody on set feels safe and comfortable. How did we get here? 1920s. With the dawn of motion pictures came the dawn of pornographic films. 1970s. Porn peaked in the swinging 70s with the release of the culture phenomenon Deep Throat. Even Jackie Kennedy Onassis went to see it in theaters. Prosecution of obscenity laws became much strict, 1980s. Porn made its mark on the home video industry. It was around this time Candida Royale fought for women's rights and elevated porn into an art form. 1988, Larry Flint Jr., publisher of Hustler, Free Speech Champion, made headlines with his 1988 court battle with Jerry Falwell, founded the right-wing group Moral Majority, 1990s. Third wave feminists became a megaphone for change, suggesting that porn and sex work needn't be oppressive to women and might actually be enjoyable. 2007, Canadian-owned interest pornography site Pornhub launched and quickly became one of the most visited adult sites on the web. Today, it's more recent social acceptance. Sexual wellness brand Dane Products won a three-year legal battle to promote its products in New York's public transit system. So what does this mean for the current state of ethics in porn? The adult industry has seen a huge shift the past 20 years. Old industry vets are retiring and selling their companies and being replaced by young up-and-comers, many of whom are women, and people committed to ethical standards. Porn and sex work is here to say, so it's up to adult film producers to offer adequate pay and fair working conditions. This encompasses everything from sets free of assault and harassment to labor rights. Sex work is work, and sex workers deserve the same legal protections as any other people. Your porn is more likely to be ethical if you pay for it. Mainstream porn isn't always made or shared in a way that's fair or respectful to the performers. From boundary violation to performers not earning what they're worth, porn doesn't always benefit sex workers in the best way possible. The best way to consume ethically is to pay for your porn. 
buy content from sites that require verification have rules on what types of porn can be uploaded. When you are a distributor, pirate, and perform a video, they don't earn what they're worth. Go to the source whenever possible. Buy from the person making the porn. Most performers advertise on social media platforms like Reddit, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscription services like OnlyFans, JustFans, and Sext Panther make it easy to buy content directly from the people making it. Consume it thoughtfully. Think about your ethical standards in relationship to porn and respect those who make it. If the porn you support and how you consume it is aligned with your values, you can enjoy it without feeling any guilt or shame. For some people, consuming porn thoughtfully simply means paying for their porn. For other people, thoughtful porn consumption means intentionally seeking out porn made by marginalized creators, developing self-care rituals centered around pleasure, or having a conversation with a partner about ways to incorporate porn into a shared sex life. Thoughtful consumption of porn is called porn literacy. I'm, I have porn literacy, by the way. It's excellent. To check out Erica Lessons, the porn conversation for more porn literacy resources. Support diverse casting. Sexuality and sexual desire is deeply diverse, and porn should be too. Support films and production companies that feature performers of varying genders, races, body types, ages, disabilities, sexual orientations, representations, matters. Support sex workers' rights, which I do. Sex workers deserve the same legal protections as any other people. Sex Workers Outreach Program, SWAP, SWOP, has great educational information on what it means to support sex worker communities. Where to find ethical porn afterglow. This website, an erotic sexual wellness platform, combining ethical porn with guided masturbations, partner exercises, and educational content to inspire the unabashed enjoyment of sex. Bright Desire features smart, central sex created by Miss Naughty, filmmaker and judge. All time, the master brand subscription service for high budget adult films with porn directors remakes. Crashpetsers.com, queer porn filmmakers shine new season cast real life couples, including people of color, people of size, older queer speakers, stories, including neurodivergent. I'm neurodivergent, so I'm glad. She also founded PinkLabel.tv, indie adult cinema by porn filmmakers with queer, feminist, and ethical perspectives. X Confessions. Famous filmmaker Erica Lust turns crowdsourced fantasies into short films. Or play films. Independent all-woman production company on a mission to create erotic short films through a feminine gaze, GSE. Deeper, porn veteran Caden Cross directs high-end films through the site. Part of the Vixen Media Group. Royal Fetish Films, run by real-life couple Jet Setting, Jasmine King Noir. Royal Fetish demonstrates what a more inclusive, ethical, and safe space for VIPLC Black and Asian people of color performance actually looks like. Industry organizations, fair porn, ensures the rights of everyone in the porn industry and helps people make better choices about the porn they watch. Free Speech Coalition, adult industry trade organization with which sets standards for things like COVID and STD testing. VIPLC AIC, the resource for education and support services to make the adult entertainment industry a safer space for VIPLC. They have the adult advocacy uh, performer committee APAC adult performer advocacy committee so they, and they were to do self-explanatory the title so I look forward to being a part of these industry organizations and these ethical uh, porn entities as well so I'm very happy um, 
So now I'm going to be discussing um, more of the friends with benefits that I do. 11 tips to make it work. Medical Review by Janet Brito, PhD, LCSWCST, written by Carly Werner, RD, on April 19, 2021. The term friends with benefits, FWB, can mean different things to different people. To some, it's, simp- it's simply sex without the commitment or relationship status. It could be with someone you just met or someone you have a bit of a history with. For others, it's sex with an established friend. Pause. I would say my, my friends with benefits is, of course, there's no commitment nor relationship status. And it is with people I have a bit of history with and people that establish friends, people I just met, but nothing happens too soon nor too slowly. So there's balance on, there's balance in my life. Either way, you're probably not going to be dining at a fancy restaurant together before jumping into bed or the sexual settings. Actually for me, I would be the type that would dine at a fancy restaurant with someone before we have relations. You're also unlikely to bring your FWB to a family event. Now, that's true when it comes to my biological family. People that become like my family, that's a different story. Um, some people like the idea of having sex as a commitment relationship. That would be me. If the relationship starts out as a solid friendship, your friend could be like a safe person to have sex with. I, you know, it's okay to have gorgeous friends. And we have a solid friendship. That's true for me. Of course, an FWB arrangement can have its challenges, problems, because partners aren't totally in line to expectations. Open communication is key, since feelings toward another person can change once sex is involved. For myself and my partners, I make sure that we're that good at FWB before anything sexual occurs. Here are some things to consider and talk about if you think about trying FWB arrangement. One, define the existing relationship. It's important to explore that it's a good friend and someone you can be honest with and who knows your true self. This may feel like a safe person to have sex with. But consider whether the intimacy of sex will change your friendship. Would it be a major loss if you aren't able to continue your friendship? It's a different story if the person is someone you don't know that well may never see again once you've done once you're done being FWB. In some cases, one partner enters into an FWB situation with the hopes of it turning into something more. But it's important that all partners go into this with the same goals. If partners have different ideas in mind, issues can arise. To decide about snuggling and sleepovers, there's nothing wrong with cuddling or staying the night, but it can change your connection. Cuddling releases oxytocin, a bonding hormone. If you agree that this is just about sex, the extra time together can change how you feel about the person. Oxytoxin makes it harder for it to be just about sex. If you both agree that you want to cuddle and sleep over, that's totally fine. It's just worth having a conversation inside the ground. Pause. One, we define the existing relationship quite well. FWB is already that. We're friends, it's just that we're sexual benefits. That's it. And we do cuddling and sleepovers, right? myself and my partners um but we're able to 
be without commitment and, you know, serious relationship. Three, figure out where to keep your stuff. This may feel like small details, but you will need to agree on what stuff, if any, gets left at the other person's place. For some, leaving a small bag with a toothbrush and a change of clothes is fine. Other people view this as a step towards moving in together. This could be exactly the opposite of what someone in the FW relationship is looking for. Mine would be leave a little bit at their place or my place, but it wouldn't be moving in together. It just means that we're that cool with each other, but there's still nothing monogamy going on between us. Um, if they want to get all their stuff and I get all my stuff, we can do that too. Keep our stuff from each other's places. That's fine. That's fine. Four, set rules about how to act around other people. Consider how internet, consider how interconnected your networks are. If you have mutual friends or work together, other people may see together. You may want to talk about whether you'll tell anyone. This could create an uncomfortable situation if one partner wants to keep the relationship a secret and the other wants to tell others. Make sure you agree on two, if any one you'll tell. Think about whether it'd be hard to act normal around mutual friends once you've seen each other naked. Decide whether you share, decide whether you'll share any public displays of affection. Well, here's the thing. If a partner wants to keep relationship um, a secret, like a healthy secret, not a bad secret. They're just very private about certain things, including and sex is one of them. Then I would honor that. Um, it wouldn't be a problem for me. Even if I told them I didn't want other people to know, they would, you know, respect that because I, I would pick very respectful people and I'm a very respectful person myself. I, if for me, I don't mind other people knowing. Um, so if they wanted to, you know, we decide to save people to tell. And the people that we consider dangerous, we don't. We go over that with them. And so that's just fine. And we agree on who, if anyone, will tell. Like we, I was saying earlier. Public displays of affection are optional. They don't have to. And... If they feel like they want to have to, they can, you know. And what acting normal mutual friends, we can do that just fine. Nothing gets in between what we're doing. We don't allow what people could call awkwardness to go, oh my God, things are strange. No. Well, we're very, very um, sensitive to each other and to the people connected to us. Okay. So I apply one, numbers one through four very well. Okay, five, consider the impact when this ends. Typically, an FWB situation short-term thing, it's important to talk about what happens after. Some people find they can't go back to being friends after being sex buddies. Hmm. From my standpoint, I don't put a term limit on any FWB situation I'm in. I don't put a term limit on any on any of my sex buddies. I don't put a term limit on any of my fuck buddy relationships either. I don't. I don't focus on the duration. I focus on the commemoration, meaning uh, you know, the deep 
mutual respect we have for each other and sex is the icing on the cake for us so I can go back to being just friends after being sex buddies I can do that of course I can do that because I'm that good at being non-monogamous in the first place how connected are you with the other person? Do you live near this person? Or like to see them at the grocery store? Do you feel the need to avoid gatherings with friends in case the other person is there? It's not possible to predict exactly how you'll feel about the relationship being, so it's worth considering uh, potential outcomes. Um, now, if they, let's say, you know, it ends and they want to rekindle, or I want to rekindle, we both say, hey, we like what we were doing before, let's keep going, or if they're like, nah, we're we're cool, I always respect you, we always appreciate the good memories you have, and that's fine too. Number six, check it with your partner. Sex can can quickly change how you feel about another person. It's important to keep communication open. Ask your partner if this is still working for them. Let your partner know that that they could talk to you if their feelings change if they want out. Yes, I constantly check it with myself with my partners we constantly checking with each other checking with themselves number seven checking with yourself ha 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 along with checking with your partners it's important to do the same with yourself it can be easy to get caught up in things especially if your partners have with your arrangements make sure to ask yourself whether this is really working for you it's fine if your answer changes over time take a moment to reflect on whether this is what you really want and need if so awesome if not it's worth exploring what isn't working for you are you actually looking for more commitment are you worried about losing this person in your life is it really feeling fun and easy it's okay to reconsider maybe it seems like a great idea at first but then you find it's not right for you so yes I do check in with myself and I'm pleased with the outcomes hey talk about protection nothing ruins great sex like to worry about pregnancy or getting a sexually transmitted infection STI or getting a sexually transmitted disease STDs. Make sure all partners are comfortable with the method of protection you use. Be open to by the expectations for birth control methods to prevent STIs. So yes, I do have safe sex. I have safer sex. And I have protected sex. I don't have bareback sex with anybody. Um, nine. Get regular STI testing. Even if you're using a con weather fair method to prevent STIs and STDs, because you got to get regular STD testing too, it's a good idea to talk about how often to get STI and STD testings. People are sexually active should get tested about once per year. People ages 13 to 64 should also receive tests for HIV at least once in their lifetime. People are at a greater risk for HIV, including gay and bisexual men, that require more frequent testing. I would say that. The greatest risk for HIV is in straight cisgender people. That's just the facts. They get it more than um, LGBT plus people. So. That's not me attacking anybody. I'm just telling what the research says. This may be something that you want to do before your first FWD encounter. Besides how often you'll get rechecked, especially if one or both of you is also having sex with other people. So I'm having sex with other people, but... I'm not oversexed. I'm not undersexed. That's what makes me unique. I have sex in moderation. I do everything in moderation, including sex. Say, get the sex you need. 
You know your body best and what feels good for you. So it's important to be open about your needs and expectations. Tell your partner what, what you do and don't like with having sex. Your partner will want to make you happy and will likely be eager to know what you need. Get the sex you need. That's how I also get the sex I want. And the same goes for them. They get the sex they need and they also get the sex they want. We get the sex we need and Last is I'm left for this article. Uh, be prepared for what happens if you or your partner met, meet someone. If your FW situation is really only about the sex, it's quite possible that one of you can meet someone else you'd like to start a relationship with. Keep communicating about how you're feeling and whether the FW deal is meeting your needs. Consider whether there will be heartbreak whether he breaks off the FWB to start a romance with someone else. Um, wouldn't be for me. That would be them. I would not get... And I would never get into a serious relationship, so that's definitely them. And it wouldn't be heartbreaking because we're not committed. I would be happy for them. Uh, the takeaway, the idea of commitment-free sex is not appealing to many people like me, but several factors affect whether it actually works. Set some rules to keep communication open. Also, check with yourself and your partner often. It's important that everyone has the same expectations in this kind of arrangement. Those things are so self-explanatory to my after be arranged, we said nothing else needs to be said more on that. Okay. So, there's just so much more that, um, I must make clear. I'm gonna make this short. So, I'm gonna mention things that are very sensible to me. This is written by uh, Inky Boo Illusions. This is personal and update on me and solo polyamory, but I'm gonna talk to you exactly what was specifically relates to me. So, defining my definition of solo polyamory. I find that there are variations in how solo, solo poly lifestyle is defined. Depends on the individual. So mine is something like this. Um, I won't move in with anyone. I keep my home and my space even if at some point I decide to um Hold on, let me repeat all that again. Because those are the, some of the rest of the author's words has nothing to do with me. Let me repeat that again. So, here we go. Defining my definition of solo polyamory. I find that there are variations of solo poly lifestyles defined depends on the individual. So, so, mine is something like this I won't move in with anyone. I keep my home and my space, I don't share finances. with anyone. I have relationships with people that are not romantic relationships. We may do romantic things though. We may or may not end up being long term. Uh, 
I am open with new with my new partners about this relationship. If I see the possibility of starting something new with someone, I will tell them that I am so po and explain what that means. My relationships are mutually satisfying sexually, emotionally, intellectually. I am I am free to engage in short term relationships, even one time encounters as I see fit. And without seeking permission from current partners, I will always be open to share sexual information about myself with partners, potential partners, as I would expect them to do with me as well. So that's the type of community I have. That's what solo poly means to me. I'm very open about that so they know that um, how I am is that straightforward. So yes, I'm I'm Sopo. I live a solo poly lifestyle. I live a life of solo polyamory. Because solo polyamory is inherent to my nature. Another article that I'm gonna talk about. That defines me. Um, I don't read everything because everything applies to me. I'm going to only read to you what's important to me. Some individuals like myself enjoy a self-partnership and don't foresee abandoning that life's only time soon. That, those words apply to me. Um, Let me see. So, let's start with self-partner. My, I am self-partnered because I am not searching for the one to change my status from single to taken. Self-partner for me means the person is committed to is committing to be alone. A self-partner individual like myself takes time to put my needs, desires, dreams, art, health, and priorities first. Being self-partner for me means that I am happy. I like living alone. And I know I'm complete by myself. I am in control of my environment and my time. I never want to change my life. It's how I'm whole. Being self-partner carries a positive connotation for me. Whereas, you know, Being single for me is a positive status that I never strive to change. I am happily self-partnered. Uh, the autonomy of solo polyamory. Lastly, there's solo polyamory. Solo polyamory individuals like myself are motivated by autonomy, value our independence, and, identif- and identify primarily as individuals not defined by my quantity of relationships. Solid polyamorous people such as 
just as me, myself. We have multiple relationships, but I don't entangle my fiscal residential arrangements and life obligations around a live-in partner, polyamorous, so the poly people, me, are are often are that are often their own primary partners. So my pi, my primary partner is myself. Um, I do live alone, but I do spend time frequently out of my home with a multitude of different partners. A solo polyamorous person commits to self partnership spends a great deal of time alone. Me regardless of the number of partners, friends, and activities. I'm a self-partner. People like myself, I like being alone. The most important partner I have is myself. I do not see the single or our solo existence as an adverse fate. I don't. Um, and And if I do have romantic relationships, they're non-monogamous romantic relationships. As you already know, I have non-monogamous sexual and physical relationships. Okay. I just love to be honest. I am proudly solo polyamorous and I'm proudly self-partnered. Um... I feel comfortable calling myself single. Oh, there's more for me to say. If any of my partners wanted to live with me or or get married or have offspring or own pets, I would decline. You know, we are emotionally connected, but one of the reasons we've been along with us, we spend healthy distance and healthy time apart. Um, I can appreciate someone who spends a significant amount of my time away from them as well as with them. This arrangement is quite healthy um, for me. I feel comfortable calling myself single. Um... But outside of my circle of close friends and people who come like my family, I am primarily defined as single by society as I make good relationships. Even though I love being single. And I love calling myself as you already know. Um, as a solo polyamorous person, I make a conscious effort to remain off relationship escalator. No thanks, I'll take the stairs, please. Um, I am a single, self-partnered, solo, polyamorous person. The most exceptional partner I have is myself. I'm self-partnered. I'm happy. I'm finally complete. I'm complete by myself. I like living alone. At a, you, you know. I just love saying it because it's very, very much true. Um, so, I do not want to transition away from the single life. I discover, find, and reinvent myself. 
some individuals like myself, like I said, enjoy self-partnership, singleness, and solo polyamory lifestyling. And we don't foresee abandoning that lifestyle ever. So, you knowing more about me. Um, so let us uh, discuss um, more about my um, this is the last article I do for this episode can friends with benefits really work 15 rules for next to arrangement we all know the phrase let's keep it casual what does it mean to be friends with benefits with someone friends with benefits also known as FWB is a casual sexual relationship with their friend duh or just a random person the general idea is that you you are friends or at least friendly with the other person have a sexual chemistry but not interested in pursuing a more serious romantic relationship successful FWB relationships with success, successful FWB relationships are strictly sexual avoid all the romantic and physical intimacy of a true relationship for a lot of people, FW relationships are a great way to scratch a sexual itch without having to commit the time or emotional investment to a full-blown relationship. They're also excellent for polyamorous people who are interested in pursuing multiple different types of relationships at one time. While some people really thrive in these casual relationships, others have a hard time separating sexual intimacy from emotional intimacy. Stacking the question, is it truly possible to have a sexual relationship without catching feelings? Casual relationships aren't for everyone, so if you're interested in pursuing FWB, there are a few ground rules you should ask yourself to keep the FWB situation from becoming too involved. One, make sure you're emotionally mature enough to be FWB. Like we said before, not everyone is cut out for a casual FWB relationship. Sleep with someone in a non-committal way takes a lot of emotional maturity. Before you start an FWB fling, make sure that you can deal with the different outcomes of the relationship. Adding sex to the equation will never make things easier, though it potentially adds a lot of satisfaction. So ask yourself if you can handle a casual thing from the get-go. Having emotional maturity also means that you're capable to evaluate your own wants and needs. It's worth getting sexually involved with a friend. Think about what you really want from your relationship with them. Are you the type of person that can handle casual sex? And everyone is. Knowing this about yourself is important before embarking on FW relationships so that you can protect yourself from your friendships. Oh, I am mature. I am emotionally mature enough to be FWB. Yes, I am. Number two, don't become FW with someone you already have feelings for. Uh, a, a successful friends benefits relationship will end with the, when the relationship is no longer serving one slash both of you, when one of you starts dating another person more seriously. You should not go into a friends benefits relationship expecting or hoping for it to become something more serious. Most FWBs do not end with you dating your bed buddy. For this reason, you should not become FWB with someone that you're already into. If you're going to just sleep together, you should not expect them to wake up in the morning and reciprocate your feelings. If you are sleeping together, your feelings for the person will probably become stronger, which can make the situation more difficult. For a lot of people, it's easy and normal to separate emotional feelings from physical slash sexual relationships, and that's what you're signing up for as an FWB. Sleep with someone with the hopes that they fall for you is a surefire way to break your own heart. Instead of going for someone that you are romantically interested in, choose someone that you're not romantically attracted to so that the things can indeed become casual. Oh, I only sleep with people I don't have serious relationship feelings for. I don't have serious relationship feelings for anyone, so it works out for me just fine. Three, choose your partners wisely. 
The ideal FWP is someone that you are physically attracted to, but not emotionally attracted to. In addition to sexual chemistry, it's important to choose someone that is honest. Successful FWP relationships take a lot of communication and trust, so it's important to choose your partners wisely. At the end of the day, you also need to consider what will happen if the FWP relationship doesn't work out. Do you really want to risk changing the dynamic of a friend group by sleeping with your pal on the off chance that it does not work out? Sometimes it's better to keep a playful friend group flirtationship rather than just a sexual relationship with a friend. Other times, sleep with your buddy totally works out. Everyone operates differently and all friend groups have different dynamics. Just make sure that you're considering all the factors when deciding to become an FWB with someone. Let me see here. I choose my partners wisely and they choose me wisely. Um, and we have an emotional attraction that is not a committed relationship-ish at all. So I want to clarify that. Number four, don't be lovey-dovey. If you're in a friends with benefit situation, don't act like a couple. This might be the golden rule of successful FW relationship. Don't, don't hold hands, don't speak in public, don't go on dates, don't practice PDA in general. Just don't be lovey-dovey with your sex friend. It's important to keep things in the bedroom or the other sexual settings that you don't start to Start to couple coupley things with your friends with benefits and you might start to develop feelings for them. Even if that's not your intention. Only naturally start falling for someone who can spend a lot of time together. Try to work the situation all together. Hmm. See, here's the uniqueness about me being a friends with benefits type of person. I can, we can do couple stuff and I never want to settle down or be family with that person. So, you know, every FW is different. So we act like a couple and other times we don't. Um, but I never, and they never want to make it serious. So I'm unique. My lovely being in a friends with situation is unique. It, I'm a rare breed in FWB world. Um, that's it. That's how I honestly feel. Um, another thing is a lot of people find that it's actually easiest to minimize the amount of time alone. They spend with the FW to keep the relationship more casual and low-key. While you don't want the relationship to feel transactional, you do want to make sure that it's mostly slash entirely about your sexual chemistry and connection. If you want to spend time together outside the bedroom, it's a good idea to do so in group settings. Group dynamics will keep PDA to a minimum and will emphasize the friends aspects of the FWB. But if we spend time together outside the bedroom like hang, it's that's the friend part. All of what we do are friend parts. There is no more than friend part besides the sex. So, you know, we can hang out together by ourselves and be just fine. Um, hmm. I think what I'm going to do is make a part two. No, 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 no. I can keep going. Some of these things I could actually... I'll just go for it. Just go for it. Okay. It basically says avoid... 
I can sum this up, what do I want to do? You know, I'll just make a part two of this. I don't have to rush. 